Deconstruction is trending, and many are simply struggling to make sense of it all. We've examined deconstruction and its current influence on the church at large. We've explored some of the possible reasons for why someone might deconstruct. And we've heard a few personal stories of folks who have taken that journey. So what if we actually do need to re-examine the faith we grew up in or have held to for a long time? What if the traditions and teachings of religion have become so interwoven and entangled with the truth of God's word that we don't know one from the other? Is deconstruction the only answer? Or is there another path we can take? Where do we go from here? What's the best way to look at this topic, and how can we reasonably approach it in a helpful, loving, Christ-like, humble, and God-honoring way? Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast, a podcast where we talk Beards, Bible, and all things in between. My name is Josh. I'm joined by my good friend, Gabe. Gabe, how goes it, my friend? It's going. It's going. I, uh, I guess someone was snooping around in the basement down here, and they stole my headphones, so I'm using these ones that I probably got for free on, like, an airplane, so mm. your voice sounds a little bit crackly in these uh cheap one dollar dollar tree headphones but you know that um there's probably some people listening to this podcast right now that are listening on cheap one dollar headphones mm-hmm. or maybe even an airplane so paul said you can become all things to all men so gabe you're just yeah. entering into mm. contextualizing this ministry to the needs of our listeners yeah, I was about to log on, and I was like worried that I was going to be late. And I actually eyed up, eyed up the uh, bright blue and red Nintendo headphones that <laughs> the boys use to play their little Nintendo Switch things. And it's, yeah. you know, like this big bulbous-looking Nintendo headset thing that probably wouldn't have fit me anyways. <laughs> but I chose the free, the free airline uh, headphones that somehow we have still. Uh, but, well, you look you look yeah. great. How goes it with Nothing. you? Thank it's going you. good, man. It's going real good. It's been a uh, crazy couple of weeks, but uh, good. I'm actually I'm recording from my house this morning because my office is getting remodeled, so I've been um, mm-hmm. displaced this week and last week. They're mm. sanding down drywall and painting and putting new carpet in my office, and so yeah, I'm just kind of working wherever I can find a spot to work. So I'm here at my home office this morning here. trying to keep my voice down. Would you say that you're identifying as transient right now? <laughs> yeah. Yes, trans is <laughs> all the move. right now, so I'm on the move. Yes. Yeah. I'm very I wonder what they're going to find something. in those walls. Wasn't there, like a, wasn't there like a rat in your office wall or something that was scratching Man. them? The drywall. There, there was a um, a dead bird we found. Is uh, so like last mm. Monday we did demolition of the. Uh, so this is the the church um, was an old funeral home, and part of it was like a porch, 
and we closed in the porch. And as we started doing demolition and ripping up the ceiling, there was a dead bird that had been mummified. And uh, hmm. yeah, that was that's pretty interesting to find. Oh, look, there's been a dead bird in the wall the whole time. So it's crazy. yeah, I remember uh, you you gave me a little tour of your church building, and yeah. you took me down in this basement, and you were like, "This is where they used to like." Ho- hose off the dead bodies and stuff yes. and get them ready for like uh, all this stuff and i'm like they would lay them on this table right here and now yes. this is where we serve our you know when we have functions we serve our potluck meals off of this no i didn't you didn't say that i'm kidding <laughs> well, that's true but you did yeah, show me like where they prepared like yeah yeah oh gosh yeah man so the table's yeah. gone one of our elders he uh he took it home and he uses it for butchering pigs now doesn't that sound morbid so it is yeah yeah. Hey, you tell our listeners how bit. you're doing. My dog is standing at the door to my office whining because he wants in, so I'm going to let him in. So say something smart and wise okay. and go let him in. Okay. Hang on. Okay, so I'm going to tell the listeners how I'm doing. Um, Josh Josh is gone. He just got up to go get the dog, and he's... I hear a door closing and opening. I think he should... How many of you think he should do the entire podcast episode with his dog in his lap? Maybe maybe your dog has some things to say. Maybe so. I don't know what you about, were just talking about. Yeah, I was telling the listeners that they should they should comment on YouTube or whatever platform you're listening to this, encouraging you to allow your pet to speak what what is on its mind. <laughs> he's got a beard. He's old. Yeah, and yeah. he's with me in the mornings when I read my Bible. Before the kids wake up, so he probably is it's probably good. by proxy yeah. absorbs some wise insights about the Bible, you know. So I wonder if he's ever gone through a phase of deconstruction <laughs> of his faith. <laughs> I'm using your talk <laughs> as an attempted segue into. Yeah. Oh man, that's that bad. Topic du jour. That was pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's that's our topic today, deconstruction. Last last episode on deconstruction. Um, Gabe, what kind of uh, feedback have you heard about this um, series we've done? Have you talked to anybody that's been listening? And what's uh, what's been your perception of how this topic has landed for folks maybe that you've talked to? Yeah, I've uh, gotten a little bit of feedback. People seem to be really interested in it, receptive of it. Um, I think your conversation with Jesse was um, a good feedback sparker. Uh, I had a, at least a couple of people tell me that the conversation was really good and civil, but also illuminated some things, um, you know, that we had talked about in the in the episodes prior that that seemed evident in Jesse's life as to why he made a sudden, well, maybe not sudden, but made a made a turn from his faith away from mm-hmm. his faith and um, revealed some of those things. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I might kind of weave in some of my feedback on your conversation with Jesse and his deconstruction story as we go through this kind of final question of, like, where do we go from here yeah. um, in deconstructing deconstruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jesse was very, very gracious, and uh, I want to give a shout-out to him for being willing to sit down and talk with me about just where he's at and how he got there. And, you know, I don't think God is done with Jesse. Um, 
from talking with him, it it's encouraging to me just to hear he's still very much open minded. Um, yeah. And so uh, I think his heart is open, his mind is open, so still receive the truth of the Lord. And um, yeah, it's been interesting just to see how personal this topic is. I think it's mm-hmm. easy for us as pastors maybe to get caught up in definitions and get caught up in you know, the, the semantics of, okay, this word means this, but here's why this theological construct, it doesn't make sense, or here's, you know, whatever. But then I, I don't think I was prepared for when we started talking about this, how many people would kind of reach out to me and just say, no, this is, this is very, very personal for me. Like I've lost friends, I've lost family members. This is, mm. you know, mm-hmm. the path that I started going down and, um, I think my eyes have been opened to see that this is probably the single greatest deception happening in the church today. Like mm. more so than any other topic we've talked about. I mean, cause we've done stuff on the word of faith. We've done stuff on the NAR movement. We've done stuff on, um, y- you know, over the years, gosh, a lot of different topics related to fringe beliefs and, and I think this one takes the cake of being the most um, widespread deception in the church today. Would you agree with mm. that? Yeah, it's pretty widespread. And yeah, let me just touch back on, on my my re-listening to your conversation with Jesse um, yesterday. I have to commend him. He sounds like a really gracious human being, and oh, I would rather, and, and, and humbly searching for truth, I would rather have... 10 Jesse's under my spiritual care and shepherding that are humbly searching for truth and as opposed to 10,000 uh bigoted self-righteous with theological chip on their shoulder individuals that you know are are tithing and doing all this stuff you know I'd rather Amen. I'd yeah. rather have Amen. 10 Jesse's who seem like really gracious human beings who are just they they struggle they struggle with doubt um mm-hmm. but they're humble and they're they're still open to correction, still open to ideas. Um, he seems like a, a really great guy. I'd like to hang out with him sometime. Yeah, he is. He is, man. Yeah, so we've looked at deconstruction. We've kind of defined what it is, what it isn't. Uh, we've explored some of the possible reasons for why someone might deconstruct. Um, and again, we did four. Uh, we did church hurt, <laughs> bad teaching, we did moral licensing, and we did the need for street cred. That's just four. There's probably an infinite number of reasons why somebody might, but I think those four are just the ones that we've seen are the most common. And then we've heard a couple of personal stories of people who have gone down this journey. And so kind of the big question that we wanted to end this series with is, where do you go with this topic? Like, if, if you find yourself facing this either in your own life or you're married to somebody that's going through this or you have a friend, a family member, somebody in your church that's going through this. How can you and I approach this in a way that's humble, the way that's God-honoring, in a way that's gracious, um, and in a way that's Christ-like? Because I, I think one of the one of the feedback that, that I got from people who listened to um, the episode that I, I did with Jesse People said this to me. They said, it's really hard to have those kind of conversations because I find myself getting very emotionally charged. 
Hmm. And and it's not you mean just like from the they're, si- they're saying like they're saying like it's hard to, hard, hard to have those conversations with another another person because they get emotionally Correct. charged. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Like if if um you have a really good friend who's deconstructing and you love them mm-hmm. dearly and you're concerned about them, having a conversation with them about where they are for some people is really hard because you find yourself getting very, very, very worked up. And because you're passionate about them and them knowing truth, it can come across sometimes without you meaning to that you're mad at them mm-hmm. or that you're mm-hmm. judging them, right? And yeah. going back to an episode we did a while back about um, tactics, if the Christian gets angry, the conversation kind of ends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then for the people who are actually like deconstructing or they have real doubts, they have a hard time having those conversations because they don't they don't want to get worked up and they don't want to get preached at. And so, unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that have real doubts and real questions that they want to talk with their, you know, pastors, friends, loved ones about. They're just afraid to because they're afraid they're going to get preached at or they're going to get told, like, hey, you're you're in error, you're in sin, you're going to hell, right? And so, instead, they just sort of keep their mouth shut and just stuff all those doubts in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like if, you know, you go to a friend about some, some possible doubts if you have about your faith and your friend just, like, has this emotional uh, eruption, like, why would you ever question, you know, and and they were maybe struggling originally with, like, hey, Christians seem narrow-minded, they seem closed-minded, they seem judgmental, and then suddenly you just validated all of those beliefs. Right, 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 right. right. So, yeah. Yeah, so I I think it's it's really helpful just go, okay, so where do we go from here? I have somebody I know, they're deconstructing. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to talk to them and leave that door of conversation open. I don't want to come up in too hot and totally shut the door. Or, man, I've got some real big questions. I've got some huge issues. Is deconstruction my only choice? Um, because we've addressed the social contagion element to this. There are so many um, quasi-influencers <laughs> out there on TikTok mm-hmm. and YouTube and Instagram and um Golly, man, I've been watching a guy. Have you ever heard of, I think his name is Brandon Robertson. Have you ever heard of him? No, I haven't. Mm -mm. Let me look up and and see if this is his name. Here's what's fascinating to me. Um, There's a lot of people that are on TikTok and YouTube and all these places. And um, they will take the title pastor, reverend, minister, and they zero, they have zero ministry credentials. <laughs> They're self ordained, hmm. and so there's a kid on TikTok and YouTube and Instagram. His name is Reverend Brandon Robertson, and he is openly homosexual. And here's just a title of some of his videos: Christians stop idolizing Jesus. Hmm. Why I don't care about being orthodox. And then rethink sin. And so... Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So his videos, I watched several of them yesterday. Essentially, 
he reframes quite literally everything in the Christian faith, turns it on its head, and makes it basically say the opposite of what Christians have always said, and then says, as a Christian pastor or a Christian minister or a reverend, this is how I see it. Hmm. And he comes across hmm. with this air of authority and credentials because he has hmm. before his YouTube channel, Reverend. But if you research this kid, there's literally no, there's no ordinate ordaining body, anything like that, right? <laughs> Dude, yeah, some yeah. of the stuff this kid is saying is crazy. Like, I was listening to one sermon yesterday that he was, say sermon, where he was talking about the story of the, the serpent in Genesis 3 and how in the garden you have God creating human beings in his knowledge, in his um, image and likeness, right? But then giving them a prohibition against knowledge and then the serpent coming and illuminating the true reason why God didn't want them to know knowledge. And it's because the, the God of the Bible is apparently threatened by human beings knowing knowledge. Mm. And so he said in the story of the Genesis, the God figure kind of lies. But the serpent is the one that actually illuminates truth for the man and the woman. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty troublesome, isn't it? So that is, according, yeah. I mean, anyone who is uh who's taking sides with the serpent, I would say that's totally troublesome. Yeah, in dude. Like it's insane. Um, and so in, in his view, like in Genesis 3, the good guy in Genesis 3, is the serpent. It's like, Mm. my mind is blown. But he is so slick. He is such a crafty wordsmith that the implication Mm -hmm. is there's no such thing as um, sin when it comes to the sexual ethic because what repentance is in his mind is he takes the term metanoia in the Greek, and he's cleverly said mm. that metanoia means to expand your mind, and that truth oh, wow. is constantly expanding and progressing. Hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. That's interesting. Yeah, if if you want to just like sit and like go crazy and yeah. You just watch his YouTube videos. Brandon Robertson's the name of the kid, but that was a that was a <laughs> long way of saying there is a tremendous amount of content out there on social media about deconstruction, and um, a lot of it is not based in any real, credible, serious theological study. It's simply telling people yeah. what they want to hear. Yeah, and it seems like they kind of serve as the 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 match that lands on the tender, the pile of tender that is your hurt feelings, or you know, you're you're having gone through abuse from within a church, or um, maybe you observe blatant hypocrisy or exploitation from within the church or from church leaders, and then all you need is someone like that mm-hmm. that you stumble across on TikTok or YouTube, and you know, of course, once you start watching or liking or those kinds of videos, the algorithms in those platforms are going to just feed you nothing but that. Right. So yeah, that just valid then validates your concerns, it validates your doubts, validates your deconstructing of your faith. Um, yeah. 
in a weird, twisted way, because it seems like he's still trying to hold on to the, his faith and his identity as a reverend, but also grossly perverting the tenets of the faith that he claims to be a reverend in. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're currently deconstructing right now, and that's kind of where you're at, and like Gabe said, maybe you have been hurt, right? You've experienced abuse, you've experienced false teaching, you've experienced church hurt, you've experienced confusion at the hands of people who claim mm-hmm. to represent the name of Jesus. Um, maybe you were in a culture where Jesus and the Bible were used to try to control and manipulate you for somebody else's advantage. And man, we've heard real stories of people that that's, that's their story. That's their experience. It's very real. I don't want to discredit or invalidate that. Right. But you're at a crossroads. Um, the narrative that's being fed to you most likely through social media or through probably a lot of people is that the path to healing for you looks like this. Push away from church and shirk all forms of spiritual authority. Your thoughts, your opinions, and how you feel, that's what matters more than anything else. To get healing and to get whole, you need to abandon the biblical Jesus altogether. You can become an agnostic, and there's a lot of freedom in becoming agnostic or you can just follow your favorite liberal progressive Christian influencer, like a guy like Brandon Robertson, who will tell you that Jesus conveniently just happens to agree with everything that's currently politically correct. And there are many out there that are preaching to you, this is the path to being whole. This is the path to healing. And this is the only path to take if you want to live a honest, authentic life where you are spiritually healthy. But I don't think that's true. I think you have another path that can help you heal from those spiritual wounds and be spiritually healthy. Um, do you agree with that, Gabe? What, what, what's the other path that mm-hmm. somebody could take if they're kind of in that place? Yeah, I think they kind of have to just take a step back from their emotions um, if possible, it is so hard because we are emotional beings, you know, we're so connected to our emotions and emotions are God given, but yeah, to take a step back and kind of, um, I guess, objectively look at the the subject matter and, and discover who Jesus is through the pages of scripture, um, and, and recognize that, that if you are brushing shoulders with another human being in any context, uh, especially in person, you will be hurt. You will see hypocrisy. You will see manipulation. You will see exploitation. It's like that stuff is there. You have to just be prepared for it. But that doesn't make the truths of Scripture untrue. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if that, if that is uh, no, helpful in any way it. to the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, and that's an interesting insight. Like, we're, we're going to experience hurt if we're engaged in relationship with actual human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that certainly doesn't excuse systemic abuse, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
That doesn't excuse that. I mean, obviously, there are organizations and institutions who have participated and aided and hidden real instances of widespread abuse. And anytime that mm-hmm. happens, man, that's that's wrong. And and not only should um, Christians be against that, I would say that the Bible is against that. I would say that the, the biblical Jesus is against that, right? So, yes, you are going to get hurt if you're around people. And yes, anytime you see that in a widespread or very severe manner, that's wrong 100 percent of the time but I think you have a choice to make to where you can decide that it's all bad and you're just going to set a match to all of it and just burn it down or you can do the hard work of figuring out okay this was Jesus this was people this was Jesus, this was people, mm-hmm. this was Jesus, this was people. Because, I mean, for most people, and Jesse kind of spoke to this, most people with some sort of experience in church, not all of it's bad. Else you wouldn't go keep going year after year, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you say, I had a horrible church experience, well, you, you kept going for a while, so it's probably not all bad. There's probably some of it that you really enjoyed and that you found very enriching and that you found very soul satisfying, right? Mm -hmm. And I I speak to a lot of people who deconstruct and walk away from church altogether. And some of them talk about how much they miss it and yet they don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a hard process to go through to decide, okay, so the things about it that I miss, could it be there were things about it that were actually really, really good? And that was, because those align with the truth of Scripture and the truth of who Jesus really is. And so I need to figure out what that is, but not just the parts of it that I resonate with personally. Like the reason that that is so life-giving and so helpful and so beautiful is because it aligns with the truth of God's Word. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's pretty important too, right, to have the Bible is some sort of a standard or have some sort of a spiritual authority. Would you agree on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it needs to be the standard. Yeah. Yeah, and that was interesting about my conversation with Jesse because he very much, that was kind of where the fault line started for him. Like believing that the Bible was some sort of authority. Do you remember that part mm-hmm. of the conversation I had with him? Yeah, 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 he did. And then he segued into that, talking about how, yeah, it seems he, he kind of validated his, his doubt in Scripture, saying that there doesn't seem to be a lot of accounts of, you know, non-biblical accounts of, of Jesus ever being in existence, which I thought was interesting, because um, then you pulled some up and you were able to read some to him. Um, yeah, and it seems to be like a, a two, just thinking through, like there's two main points, I feel like, in a person's life. Um where I think that they will drift from their faith. And sometimes the first one I think is is unintentional, maybe more subconscious, but when when a human being, a child, reaches 17, 18 years old, they move out of their parents' house, and suddenly it's not like, um, it's not forced on them to go to a, a church or a place of worship. Um, 
suddenly, you know, it's it's their decision whether or not mm-hmm. they're going to wake up that morning and go worship with other believers. So if there's any kind of um, lack of motivation in them, then that's going to taper off, and they're going to just kind of subconsciously maybe deconstruct their faith. They're just going to distance themselves from it because they didn't they didn't make their faith their own. Um, they weren't bought into their faith. Uh, it wasn't a personal relationship thing. It was more of their, their parents leading into that. And then I think secondly, um, a human being who's attending a place of worship, a church, is, is going to they have, probably have a certain threshold. Um, I've talked to people before, and they're like, yeah, I really like the church there. I like the teaching. I like the sermons. And people there are very nice, but there are just a couple things that are going on in the background that kind of bother me, but what, whatever, you know, and they kind of push this. But there is a certain threshold where it seems like if if they hit a certain amount of inconsistencies or they observe enough, enough exploitation or money is being spent in ways that are not um, the best uh, or, or wisest ways, that that threshold gets hit, and then they then they kind of like there's a kind of this this um, sudden eruption of of emotion, or or they just withdraw from it, and then um, they go through these these steps of validation with deconstructing their faith. Um, and I've seen that you know it's it's um, it's a sad process, and I I just cannot remind you all enough that um, hum, humans are broken, pastors are broken. Pastors are going to make mistakes, and leaders within the church under pastors are going to make mistakes. Um, don't, if you're listening to this, don't allow the mistake of another human being or the inconsistency or manipulation or whatever change the very essence and, and, and core of who you are in, in your faith and in personal relationship with Christ. Hmm. No, that's a really good point. This is a question that I, I was going to ask you later, but we'll go ahead and tackle it now. Mm-hmm. Like, um, where do you see the church in recent years <clears throat> not handling this topic well? And how have we, as the church, been doing it well? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, like you talked mm-hmm. about how there's mm-hmm. a lot of kids that just, they're forced to go to church, and so as soon as they get old enough to make that decision themselves, they just walk away. And then others, mm-hmm. they're kind of engaged, mm-hmm. but they're, Nah, maybe not because there's some stuff that bothers them and then eventually that bothers them so much they peace out and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like, have we created yeah, that? I mean, yeah. what's what's the answer there? Well, it's I think I think yes and no. I think our society has gotten so so advanced, air quotes, around that that we don't need saving. We don't need a savior. So um, why would a typical... 16-year-old in the United States of America whose parents, you know, are, are bringing home six digits a year, why would, why would I, how could I convince him or her that he needs saving? Hmm. Things are, you know, maybe they, maybe they go to church uh, once a month. Um, maybe they're, they're cultural Christians who are moral people, but um, how can I convince that 16-year-old that, hey, you need to die to yourself. You need to crucify your flesh, and, and you need to repent of your sins. Um, you need saving. So I think there's that environment that is kind of surrounding um, people today, that there's like this cultural gospel, this American gospel, that we, we, we're we okay. So like Christianity is um, kind of a part of our lives, but not really that important of a part of our lives. It's not, yeah, not, not necessary. Yeah. 
but it's yeah. it's so, good. So go to church because you know, it's good. That's yeah. kind of like going going to church is good for you. But I mean, if you don't go, if you go if you go to the lake on Sunday, that's good too, right? Yeah, it's on par with like donating to your local humane society or something. It's like that's right. a good ethical right, thing. Right, right, well, right. you seem like a good person. You, you do that, but. Um, as far as it being necessary, you know, having a personal relationship. And I want to emphasize, like, having a personal relationship, um, accepting the gospel over going to church, because people mm-hmm. are going to hear this and say, oh, they just want people to go to church. There's a sign that I pass every day on the way to work, and the sign says, um, it's in front of a, a Baptist church, and it says, what can this sign say to get you here on Sunday? <laughs> and I'm always like, I kind of like uh, cringe a little bit when I see that sign, because it's not about getting you there on Sunday. It's about you recognizing that you're fallen, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're a sinner and you need salvation and it's about hearing the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's kind of cannon fodder for people who say, ah, oh, see, it's all just about, you know, trying to fill chairs and, and get more money in the offering plate. That's, you know, it's unfortunate, but, um, so going back to like, secondly, I would say, um, you know, we do a bad job of with youth I say we as like collect collectively as the body of Messiah, we do a bad job of preparing our youth with the stark reality that when they leave the warm, cozy nest of their parents' home, um, they're going to be faced with some harsh criticisms. They're going to be faced with some some um, some real roadblocks to their own faith. They're going to have to be able to articulate. Uh, explain, defend their faith. Um, hmm. They're going to have to. Uh, they're going to have to face the 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 dark underbelly of sin in Western civilization, and um, I think we do a bad job within the church, within the body of Messiah, of preparing young adults for that confrontation that they will inevitably face. Does that make sense? Yes, I 100% agree with that. 100% agree with that. And and I think that um, part of it is when we've talked about this in the bad teaching episode, kind of a dumbing down of the Christian faith, a juvenilization mm-hmm. of the Christian faith. We've tried to make it mm-hmm. so kid-friendly and so accessible and so entertaining and so fun that we've made it just not relevant, right? I mean, it's just it's just been so... Mm-hmm kid friendly and you know hey pizza pies and you know jesus wants to be your follower on instagram right or i don't know i don't know <laughs> lessons like that or you'd be jesus follower on twitter right whatever i don't know um yeah I, I feel like that that may get butts in seats that may be fun for kids that are 14 to bring their friends mm-hmm. on a wednesday night to your youth group but ultimately that's not preparing them to go into the mm-hmm halls of academia when they're 18, 19 years old and to face some of the cultural issues that we're facing today. Mm. So I think it starts in the home, 100%. I think it starts first with parents saying, this has to be a priority in my life. Like, not not just church. My faith has to be a priority in my life. I have to model it. I have to teach it. And if I'm saying with my mouth to my kids, hey, guys, being in church is important, Jesus is important, and yet with our lifestyle, we're modeling that travel baseball is more important, going to the lake is more important, uh, me watching the Masters on Sunday afternoon is more important. Um, Mm -hmm. My kids are not going to listen to what I say, they're going to watch what I do. 
And in a sense, mm. they're going to just parrot everything they see. And if they see that in my life, my faith is really not all that important, it's just kind of an added bonus on top, they're going to follow mm-hmm. what they see. And, and so I think that's, that's why there's so many kids that are getting sucked into this orbit because parents, for the most part, are failing to model a vibrant, rich faith that takes any sort of actual priority in their life. They will say it has a priority, but a lot of times mm-hmm. that's just code words for conservative values as a priority, right? Voting mm-hmm. for Trump mm-hmm. has a priority. I don't want my kid going out and voting for Biden, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what takes precedence. It's not following Jesus as Savior and Lord and taking up my cross day after day and dying to my sin and walking the straight and narrow road of discipleship. It's, I don't want my kid getting pregnant in high school, right? That's what's really going on. I know that's kind of a cynical way to say it, but... Mm -hmm. So moving on to these questions and doubts. And Jesse spoke a little bit about that. Doubts about the authority of Scripture. Doubts about if there actually was a real historical Jesus. Um, He didn't mention it, but many people have expressed great doubt on things like science and the Bible and how old the earth is and creation and all that stuff. Um, Christians thinking that Jesus was divine or you, you hear things all around you that says the Bible endorses genocide and slavery. The Bible is chock full of contradictions. Um, the Bible has no answers for the problem of suffering. You know, God's all good and God's all knowing and God's all powerful and he must be a sadistic monster because he allowed the Holocaust. And um, those are real doubts. Those are real questions. Those are real things that are getting bombed. You you are going to get bombarded with if you claim the Christian faith and you just live in the real world, right? Especially if you go to college and you walk through the halls of academia. And, And here's what makes it really hard for some people. Maybe you were brought up in a form of Christianity where you never had a safe place to express doubt or ask your questions. Like, either you were brought up in a form of Christianity where you started to ask questions and people shut you down immediately and shamed you for having doubt and and basically told you you weren't a good Christian, or they just gave you empty platitudes, right? Like, you just gotta pray. You just gotta believe. Right? <laughs> So you're at a crossroads if that's where you are. And proponents of deconstructionism will tell you here's your only path. There's only one path to a full, complete, and um, authentic form of spirituality and intellectual honesty. And here's the path they say is your only path forward you have to settle for a form of intellectual cynicism. You have to reject all of these claims that the Bible makes. Um, You don't have to just flat out reject them. You can settle for kind of this form of cynicism that is almost suspicious, but then starts to delve into the realm of being very mocking and sneering and 
almost antagonistic towards anyone that holds to any form of certainty with their beliefs. And eventually where that leads is to kind of this, um, this antagonism that almost is very negative and toxic in that you, you kind of become a very, very, very um, cynical person. And honestly, you're not really examining these issues firsthand or at face value. You're just rejecting those who hold on to certainty. And I call this the checkmate Christian mentality, right? Hmm. Where you just sort of punch holes in every single facet of the Christian faith without, without providing any answers, without actually saying what it is that you know. You just basically mock and sneer at people who claim to have certainty with any of these issues. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you met people that have gone down this path? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I, I think I have, and it's um, yeah, antagonism is is good, and it's it's kind of like right under the surface, you know, kind of like a certain certain trigger. <laughs> words or concepts will bring that out and suddenly you have a very militant antagonistic person on your hands that mm-hmm. um, knows knows the Bible decently well and has undergone some some deep hurt and and trauma you know in within the church or whatever yeah and not everybody is like angry antagonistic but I would say that mm-hmm. deconstruction basically says you need to be suspicious and cynical of anybody that is certain. Mm-hmm about absolute truth, right? And that's the only path to authentic hmm. um, intellectualism is just to be suspicious and cynical of any forms of absolute truth. So I, I think that is a false narrative to say that that is the only path forward if you have real doubts and questions. I think there's another path where you disentangle certain things and actually do the hard work of honestly examining these issues firsthand and at face value with an open mind. So the authority of scripture, right? Jesse and I talked through that. Like there's a lot of reasons why Christians believe that the Bible is authoritative. Um, From other outside uh, historical verifications of the events of the Bible, which, man, I went back and listened to that conversation with Jesse. I was talking about the Pool of Bethesda. I had the Pool of Bethesda in my mind. I said the Pool of Siloam, I think. Did I? I don't know. You, you listened to it yesterday, so. I don't remember, yeah. I got that wrong. But, but I think but the, the, con- the, context, the context is still, you completely understand what you're, you're, the story you're referencing, so it's okay. So, yeah, so things like um, there's a lot of historical backing for the places, the location, the names. Um, There's a lot of, you know, historians like Josephus and then also other Roman writings that verify the existence of the Christian group. Um, We have the existence of prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled, um, 60 distinct different prophecies about how he would live, how he would die, the ministry he would take. Um, We've got 66 books written by 40 authors 
in three languages on three different continents over a 1,600-year period that have a same common theme and congruency. And so, like, that's a pretty mm-hmm. remarkable thing in and of itself, right? So there's reasons to believe in the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, there's reason to believe in a real historical Jesus. Um, again, I spoke with Jesse, like, man, if you reject that Jesus ever existed, you've got to start doubting that like Julius Caesar ever existed or Abraham Lincoln ever existed, right? We have just <laughs> as much proof in Jesus existing as we do in those guys. Um, how old the earth is, uh, there is a ongoing conversation that Christians have been having for the past, gosh, several thousand years. I mean, as far back as Augustine on the age of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to say... I'm just going to reject science as a whole. I'm going to check my brains in the door and just say I'm not going to, you know, astronomy and science and how fast light travels and all that stuff. I don't, I don't need to know that because I just have a Bible now. No, like the, the Bible and science don't contradict each other, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, things like the Bible endorses genocide and slavery. What would you say to that? Have you ever heard somebody say that to you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, there's there's um, some things in the Bible that are you know at first blush you're like, wow, this is uh, this is endorsing slavery. It's endorsing genocide. And I, sometimes I take people a step back and I say, well, let's pretend that let's pretend for a second that it does, and let's pretend for a second that you're rejecting, um, you know, the the Bible's code of morality to begin with. And I was like, what what leg do you have to stand on to say that that's even evil? Then, if there is no God, if there mm. is no objective source of morality. Yeah, is it point. wrong to commit genocide? You know, is it wrong to enslave people? And you can't objectively because then then truth and morality is subjective. It's it's relative to the people group and the time frame in which you're living. So you kind of t- if you take people to the edge of where their logic is, their own logic is leading them. Sometimes they look over that edge and they say, "Wow, okay, yeah, let me back up from that a little bit." Then you say, okay, so let's explore for a second that maybe we just don't know the whole context, or maybe we don't understand the original language, or, or you know, let's 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 not um, assume that all these people are completely innocent, right? right. Um, you can ask questions like that, but you know, regardless, at the end of the day, of a conversation with someone about those really really big topics, if you cannot button all of those things, if you can't cross every T and dot every I. That's okay. Hmm. Um, there's still enough in Scripture that makes it undeniably the Word of God, and you can save those questions for people that are smarter than you and I, or you can save those questions for the kingdom and <laughs> ask those questions right, then. But right, right. Um, just put it on a shelf, I guess, a mental shelf, and say, you know, I, I don't fully understand that, but I know that God is merciful; He's long-suffering. The, the the Old Testament describes him as someone who I want to worship, and I'm going to trust that. Um, right. But yeah, I, I do believe there's been great, vast studies on on uh, systems of of servanthood and indentured servanthood in, in the Bible and, and during those times in the ancient Near Eastern world that I could reference people to that could do a much better job than I could explaining it. Well, and often when you hear somebody that's a critic of the Bible— um, who's either deconstructing their faith and they're kind of a progressive Christian, and so that's why they've rejected most of the Bible besides the parts they like, or somebody who's just a hardened agnostic or atheist, there's a lot of straw man arguments going on, right? 
Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, well, the Bible teaches this. I can't believe the Bible teaches that. And you should mm-hmm. feel terrible if you believe the Bible and you say the Bible's infallible in God's Word when the Bible says this. So the assumption that they have is that that is their checkmate, right? Because mm-hmm. they claim the Bible teaches genocide and slavery, therefore the Bible teaches genocide and slavery. Okay, so you've got to go back and go, okay, does the Bible actually teach genocide and slavery? Like you're defining it. So by mm-hmm. genocide, you're referring to the Canaanite conquest. Okay, so Gabe, you mentioned there's probably more there to that story than meets the eye. The Bible does not give a green light like the Quran does to go out and just annihilate every person who disagrees with you. That's that's not the biblical ethic when it comes to doing anything, right? That is a unique directive that God gave to the people of Israel for that time for a particular reason because of the wickedness and sin of these Canaanite nations, right? Um, and then also um, saying the Bible condones slavery, ah, that's a very, 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 very generous misreading of text related to indentured servitude in the Old Testament. I would say that the Bible's ethic for indentured servitude is radically generous compared to um, ancient ethics <laughs> concerning slavery and prisoners of war. I mean, the Bible speaks mm-hmm. of treating those types of people with incredible justice and offering them paths to freedom and things of that nature. I mean, that's radical. That's mm-hmm. Old Testament. And then New Testament, I mean, we've got the book of Philemon that essentially is about a runaway slave that is being sent back to his master, not as a slave anymore, but as a brother. So it mm-hmm. speaks to the equality of someone's personhood that's caught up in a arrangement that in the Roman Empire would be considered slavery. We would say that's probably a much different understanding. I mean, we think slavery, we think of generational and racial slavery, but that's not how slavery mm-hmm. has been throughout most of human history. But when someone yeah, is think, angrily... Uh... Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, uh, we didn't really have, the humans didn't have the system of like credit and credit scores and bankruptcy and all this other stuff back in the ancient Near Eastern world. You know, if you you borrowed money, your life or someone's life in your family was hinging on you paying that money back, Um, which, you know, (laughs) if we re-implemented that today, would be interesting to see it play out. You couldn't just say... You couldn't just say, oh, I'm, I can't make my mortgage payment or I can't make my car payments, therefore I'm just going to default on it and wait for them to come repo my car. Right. It was like your honor and your shame was completely attached to whether or not you could repay that debt. And your very life was at stake uh, You know, if, if you could not do that. And in terms of, not your life, but your freedom, I should say, like y- you... Mm-hmm. you had to work for someone to make that good, make that right. And um, yeah, I think our our our, our idea of slavery, um, especially you know in the 1800s United States of America, is right. we can't overlay that on top of the Bible's idea of slavery and what right. it describes there. So if you're someone who's exceptionally cynical of the Bible and you're telling people to deconstruct the Bible because of that, 
you're not doing the hard work of actually talking historically, okay, how has this issue of slavery been understood throughout the ages? Mm-hmm. You're, you're throwing this broad blanket statement, oh, the Bible condones slavery, with actually like, okay, what, mm-hmm. let's actually talk. Like, what does that mean, right? And, and so it's a false narrative to say that um, the Bible condones slavery or genocide, and therefore you should reject the Bible as wholesale. There's a lot more there. But you, you, you have the choice whether you're going to totally throw the stick of dynamite into your understanding of Scripture or you're going to do the hard work of trying to disentangle those hard questions of Scripture and come to an understanding of why Christians historically have believed it to be some sort of a spiritual authority for our practice of faith. Hmm. Um, another crossroad that you may be finding yourself in is Maybe you are currently living a lifestyle that regularly practices behavior the Bible calls sin. Maybe you're gay. Maybe you're lesbian. Maybe you're in a same-sex relationship. Um, Maybe you're transgender. Maybe you're living as a different gender than you were assigned at birth. Um, Maybe somebody you love is gay. Maybe somebody you love is living in a lifestyle that is regularly practicing behavior the Bible calls sin. Um, here's another one. Maybe you're living with your boyfriend or maybe you're living with your girlfriend and you guys are having sex on the regular. And because you said in your mind, hey, we're committed monogamous relationship, I don't think this is wrong. Well, the Bible says that's fornication, but you don't think it's wrong. And um, you've kind of started to notice that the Bible teaches things on sex that are very unpopular on hell and on judgment that are very unpopular, on the exclusivity of Jesus that are not just unpopular, they're becoming more and more and more and more and more unpopular, and people are even considering them to be dangerous on your college campus and dangerous on social media and dangerous in conversations that you're having with people your own age about them. So you're kind of at a crossroads. What do you do, right? Well, deconstruction says you've only got one path forward, and that is you need to modify and amend your understanding of the Bible and soften and adjust its teachings to make your faith more culturally acceptable. And the lifestyle you're living right now, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with you being homosexual. There's nothing wrong with you sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. There's nothing wrong with you going out and getting drunk on the regular Um the reason that you think that's wrong is because, man, you were brought up in purity culture and you were brought up in, in abusive, toxic religious systems. And you need to just free yourself from that and expand your mind and embrace kind of this radical new understanding of who Jesus actually is. Mm-hmm. And that's the only path forward put forth for some people by the deconstructionist camp. And Gabe, you you and I have both seen people that fall into this. Mm-hmm. Number one reason why people deconstruct, you think? Uh, yeah, it's hard to pin down. I mean, yeah, I would say I would say up there is a, an observed, prolonged, prolonged. Uh, inconsistency or hypocrisy within their place of worship. That makes sense. Mm. I would say that that's up there as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the path forward given by people who are in the deconstructionist camp, again, is this is your only path forward. It's to basically come up with your own understanding of who Jesus is. But I would say there's another path forward, and that is to seek to know and actually understand the Bible's teachings on the totality of the reality of God and the human experience. Like, not just your one particular issue. Mm -hmm. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because to be a Christian just for all of us means, number one, we have to humble ourselves before God and repent. We have to die to ourselves. We have to be born again. We have to take up our cross every day. And just because something is like this pull on our, of our flesh to have a propensity to do a certain kind of sin, it doesn't mean that I have to give in to that certain type of sin or I'm not being my authentic true self. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's just the Christian life, man. Like, it's not you not being <laughs> your true self if you're saying that, like, I don't, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give in to same-sex attraction. Man, like, I've been pretty open with my story. Like, I, I've battled sexual addiction and pornography uh, for for 20 plus years. So like it is a daily exercise of getting up and saying the spirit of God inside of me is going to be the thing that leads me to holiness and I'm going to say no to my flesh today. I'm not going to give into that. <laughs> yeah, I hate to break it to you. You're not special. You're just right. You're just That's living just in flesh. Yeah. You're living in this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and so like when you actually start... <laughs> getting into what the Bible says about the Christian life, like every one of us, we have our own issue that we have to bring before the Lord and we have to die to. And for some of us, that might be our anger. For some of us, that might be our greed. For some of us, that might be our gossip, our rebellion, our, um, you know, you, you name it, right? And then for some of us, it might be sexual sin. And for some of us, it might be same-sex attraction, but that really doesn't matter. Now, I think it, we think it matters because the big cultural narrative now is that if you don't give in to your sexual urges, you are somehow repressing your personhood and not being your authentic self. And that is completely anti what the Christian gospel has taught for the past 2,000 years. You know, because we wouldn't have verses like, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live but Christ lives within me, and the life I now live, I live um, by the power of the Son of God, right? I mean, what does that mean to crucify yourself with Christ? <laughs> so coming back to an understanding of, like, what is this thing called Christian discipleship, and what does it actually mean? I mean, we've got to look at it, the big picture, not just that one particular issue that our culture says is the most important. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really kind of what we've been saying is that deconstruction is not your only option. 
if you find yourself in a place where you have all these concerns, all these issues, all these questions, you do not have to take the stick of dynamite and throw it in the house and blow it all up and settle for a form of spiritual agnosticism and mysticism and cynicism that suspiciously looks exactly like the popular progressive movement of the day. Deconstructionists say that is your only path forward. You've been hurt by church. Well, guess what? You want to be your true self? Do it this way. You can go down a different path where you start to decipher the difference between what you were taught about God and what is the real truth of the word of God. And you can find, because of the authority of the Word of God and the authority of the Holy Spirit, what is the truth of God and what is the teaching of man. Hmm. And when we find ourselves in this place where we're wanting to know what beliefs about God, Jesus, and the supernatural can I stomach and accept to be true, 10 times out of 10, that's going to lead you someplace you don't need to go. (laughs) Because what we should be asking are, what beliefs about God, Jesus, and the supernatural correspond with reality and are actually true? Mm. Because lies that feel good might comfort you in the moment, but they will lead you to destruction. And so if you're listening to this and you just are looking for lies that feel good, Golly, man, you're going to be misled. And there's a lot of people that are willing to mislead you if you're just looking for a lie that feels good. And you don't care if it's a lie, you just want it to feel good. Hmm. So disentanglement is you actually looking for truth. And listen, if you start looking for truth, that truth may tell you you are wrong and you need to change your heart and your mind. But if you don't want to be told you're wrong, you've got a deeper issue, and that deeper issue is called pride. And pride is the number one sin, according to the Christian message. It always has been. I hate to break it to our friend Mm. Brandon Robertson, but the hero in Genesis 3 is not the serpent. (laughs) (laughs) So, Yeah, Gabe, which is harder, deconstruction or disentanglement? 100% disentanglement is harder. Why? It requires requires more honesty, more humility, more time. It's just, it's it's a lot more involved. Whereas I think deconstruction is just like a quick, I can go down this rabbit trail. I can, I can just throw it all out. Um, It's a quick fix to what ails you in that, in that, that season. Hmm. Do you think that there are real... yeah, I was going to say disentanglement. Disentanglement involves digging in and searching and wrestling with with some of the big, harder issues of your faith. But what were you going to ask? I was just going to say, like, hey, when we look at this, like, do you? I don't want to, you know, go over charismaticy on us, but I mean, do you, do you see that like there's some spiritual forces at work behind this? Yeah, I think I think uh, like you mentioned, there might be a spirit of pride. Um, I, I don't, I don't know the names of the spiritual forces per se, but yeah, I think definitely there's a, there's a spirit of this age that is leading people to apostatize from their faith. And we see that, which is 
ironic that that is told to us in Scripture that would, that would happen, mm. um, that that many would be led astray. Uh, I think um, there absolutely this is everything is a is a is a spiritual battle between um, you know God's God's will for the re- redemption and restoration of his creation and you know uh, and and Satan it's just all goes back to the garden and um, you know are we going to allow Satan to hijack our pride or hijack our our traumatic experiences or our doubt and let him lead us to places that are eventually going to leave us estranged from our Savior? Or are we going to recognize the signs of, you know, and and the steps that one takes towards these and instead go with the the disentanglement and and mentally uh, do the hard work of disentangling? This is, you know, saying this is from God, this is not. This This might be cloaked and and um, under the guise of being something biblical or whatever, but it's not right. And so, yeah. it's it's so hard to do, though. Yeah, it is. How do we approach somebody that is currently deconstructing? Like, like, what if we're married to them? Right? We got an email from someone who mm. told us that they're married to um, a guy who, when they got married, they were both Christians. And then several months into their marriage, he started down this path, and so now he's an agnostic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. how do we approach somebody? How we have a conversation? How how do we, you know, broach this topic and leave that door open for continued conversation? Mm-hmm. What would you say? Yeah, it's it's tough, and I think you have to approach it with a non-condemning spirit. Um, Obviously, you're not compromising on the truth of God's word that, yes, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one approaches the Father but through Him. He is the door. He is our salvation. And it's through a personal relationship with Him and confession and repentance of our sins that we receive salvation. The Christian faith makes very exclusive claims to that, but um, at the same time, we, we want to be people... And we want to be teachers, and we want to be a body that that exemplifies um, and 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 truly lives out in a in a in a visible way, um, in a very consistent way, what it means to be the the hands and the feet of Christ. And I think a person who is married to someone, and I, I'm I'm thinking of someone who attends our congregation. That's exact exact example of this. Mm. Um, for years now, the wife has been attending our congregation, but her husband is is apprehensive and standoffish. He's a hopeful, maybe atheist. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I've met him once or twice, but it's like he is. I'm sure getting a Cliff Notes version of everything that we're doing and teaching, and um, maybe even watching online or listening online. And occasionally I, I remind the wife, hey, how's so-and-so doing, or I've been praying for him, or whatever, and um, having events that are, that are um, you know, not our formal worship services, but allows them an opportunity to come and experience and be around people who are um, 
supernatural in their in their self-sacrificing, supernatural in their they, they exemplify the fruits of the spirit. And so yeah. I think having opportunities like that is is really important. Kind of these extracurricular kind of kind of activities yeah. where they can yeah. come and they feel more more everything feels more approachable. I think that's really important. Yeah, I listened to an interview recently with um, a guy who was a Christian musician. He had a band and he was kind of sucked into the orbit of deconstruction. And he was mm. living here in Nashville, kind of looking for a more steady, stable thing. He got married, started having kids. He's kind of wanted to get off the road. And so he interviewed to be a worship pastor at this church. And during the interview process, he was pretty honest and open with him about kind of how he was delving into deconstruction and he got the job anyway. And mm. his pastor just started taking him under his arm and like taking him to hockey games and going to lunch with him and hey, why don't you come over and we'll sit around a bonfire and smoke cigars and talk, you know, and just being like hmm. a spiritual dad to him basically. And asking him questions like, hey, where are you with this? What what do you believe about the Bible? Why do you believe that? And basically hmm. just like discipling him before he knew he was being discipled. <laughs> in the sense yeah. of just engaging him in those spaces where he had been taught poorly by people who claim some sort of a credibility in it. And their only credibility was, I'm just going to punch holes in what it is that you've always taught and, and always believed. Right. And, um, through that, like long, patient, enduring, committed discipling relationship, this, this brother came back to a more vibrant, rich, biblical, authentic understanding of his faith than ever before. And now he speaks at conferences and does interviews and, and podcasts and stuff talking about that whole process of how he started down deconstruction and how now he understands the deception behind it. And so, mm. you know, I, I think that there's something in that story, I think for all of us, like, we're talking about real human beings with real souls. And in that spiritual battle for the souls of human beings, like the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Mm. Um, first Peter three fifteen says in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I think mm. where we've been missing it as the church is the whole gentleness and respect. Mm -hmm. We just we we yeah. just totally miss that, man. We come across as patronizing and condescending. We come across as angry, and we make people feel stupid. We get down in the mud. I think so much of that is because we, we look just like the culture that we claim to be above, right? Yeah. So the cultural wars that are happening between politics and things like that, like there are Christians that like literally do not understand the difference between the political cultural wars, wars and what evangelism actually means. We, we think they're one, and, they're one and the same, right? And they're not. Yeah. So gentleness and respect are like 
two things our culture as a whole is lacking in. And if we're not modeling that through these conversations, we cannot expect to win people. We just can't. We might win arguments, mm -hmm. but you're not going to win people. You just got to ask, what, what's more important than me, winning an argument or winning the person? Um, yeah. Yeah, man. It's heavy stuff. Well, I think. I think. Yeah, you know, we absolutely have failed in giving an answer with gentleness and respect. You know, picture like the eighteen-year-old lady who comes up to you after service, or you know, whatever she she has questions about some things, and then uh, this you know pastor just unloads and it's kind of like how dare you even entertain these thoughts or these questions or you know just mm. immediately responds with some pretty judgmental con condemning vibes i think um it's it's sometimes it's our default as leaders and pastors to say okay i'm just going to immediately nip this in the bud and like if you never come back here fine whatever i just don't want this here right right, right, right. um it's a, it's a lot of stress you know a lot of like okay i gotta yeah I want to make sure that I hold this thing together. I want to keep the flock together. What you know, these kind of like um, doubts that we have as leaders sometimes that 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 um, translates into a very heavy hand when it comes to answering questions of people. Um, and don't get me wrong; I mean, there's a difference. Like you probably have had people come into your church that are atheists, and they just sit there and they observe and they want to learn, or they they are genuinely maybe just searching. And sure. then there's the atheist that comes in and is passing out pamphlets and trying to right, right, <laughs> trying right, to recruit right, people right. to their atheism, right? There's a difference in how you're going to approach those yeah, two people is. and those two human beings. And I think it's important that if you're someone that has these doubts and these questions, your, your aura, your approach um, is going to make a difference in how the authority figure or the teacher or the pastor who you're approaching it's going to respond. Right. Um, it's important that you 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 approach them with the very humble spirit and just uh, you know having your mind not completely made up. Let them know that, and if they're a true man or woman of God, they should respond with gentleness and respect. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much in the book of Proverbs about someone who is a mocker. So, mm -hmm. like a mocker is someone who just makes fun. Right. Mm. And and the book of Proverbs says, like, hey, don't don't even engage with a mocker. Like you're not gonna win that, right? You're just gonna incur abuse upon yourself. I believe that's what the the, the Proverbs say about it. So like if you, if somebody's just there to to mock and to be cynical and to criticize and uh, you know, then I mean that like you you can't really work with somebody like that. Their heart and their mind's not open. But the book of Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Mm. And, yeah. and so I'm just going to say this. I don't know if anybody's ever going to take us up on this, but if you are someone that you would just say, hey, man, I'm, I'm there. I'm somebody who doubts. I've got real questions about this. Man, send us an email. I will make time to hop on Zoom with you. No matter where you are, if you're listening from the UK or from any other part of the world or Canada or here in the U S we can set up a time to hop on zoom and we can have a coffee date on zoom and just talk through all this stuff. Like I I'm <laughs> serious about that. Like I don't know many Christians who wouldn't be willing to do that because that's mm -hmm. who we're called 
to show mercy on and to have those hard conversations. But like, don't, don't think if you're going through this journey, I'll say this and then we can be done. That your only option is to go down the road of uncertainty and agnosticism and mysticism to where all of a sudden you look just like the progressive liberals around you. And you say, Oh wow, I've deconstructed my faith to more authentic form of your faith. Well, no, you've, you basically just walked away from the Christian faith and now you're holding on to something that the world says is authentic and life-giving, but the reality is you probably won't even be considered a Christian in the next few years if that's where you're at. So, hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say if you're in the tri-state area or Wiregrass area of, of Alabama, uh, let me know and I'll take you out to Waffle House. We'll nice. <laughs> Yeah, smothered, covered. What's all the different hash brown? <laughs> oh gosh, I will hey, not take you to Waffle House. <laughs> I don't want to. Stacy sent me something in the bathroom, on so. Stacy sent me something at Waffle House. Uh, it's things that happen at Waffle House. Number one, you ask for a cup of hot water to soak your utensils. Number two, your bill is going to be different every time. Number three, you're going to get that all star. Number four, you want your drink in a to-go cup because you know their glasses a little cloudy and we know they aren't clean all the way. Number five, that Waffle House is going to hit every time. Number six, that giraffe steak is going to be cooked and overcooked and super thin. Uh, there is one. Um, number, number 10, the staff is going to be arguing amongst themselves for everybody to hear because somebody didn't show up for their shift. Mm. She gave me this list of like all these things that are going to happen at Waffle House and they're so true. So yes. true, but anyways. Well, yeah, I can't remember the last time I ate at a Waffle House. My wife does not eat at Waffle House. Um, hmm. And when we were dating, I did not know this, so I took her to Waffle House a couple of times, and then she made it very clear to me that, no. <laughs> I didn't marry Waffle not, House lady. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it's, def- it's definitely a guilty pleasure for me. Yeah, maybe when you and I hang out next, we can go to but, Waffle House. So, anyway. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you guys for listening. If you have questions, concerns, or seriously, you want to hop on Zoom and hang out and talk about this stuff, or you want to go get diarrhea at Waffle House with Gabe in Alabama, hit us up and uh, we'll make it happen. Thanks for listening, guys. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.